Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. You know, abortion is probably one of the top subjects of strife between friends and between family members. You know, I know from experience, you know, it's not easy. Um, and it's gotten more contentious as a contentious as we wait as we await the Supreme Court decision that could overturn Roe v. Wade, the 1973 decision that made abortion legal. But if you're pro-life and someone you love is adamantly um, pro-abortion, what do you do? Do you avoid the subject or do you learn as much as you can to help the person understand why you believe abortion is a great evil? Sean Carney is a living example of someone who did the, the latter, and the result is the organization 40 Days for Life. In 2004, he and some other students at uh, Texas A&M had an hour of prayer asking God how to end abortion in their neighborhood. Today, Carney is the CEO of this now international organization, and he and his wife's story was also featured in the film Unplanned. It's the story of Abby Johnson, uh, her conversion from an abortion nurse working in Planned Parenthood to becoming staunchly pro-life. Now, whatever decision the high court makes, the abortion conflict is not going away. And so it's more important than ever to understand why you believe what you believe. And to help you with some questions and, and some arguments you'll likely have, Sean joins me now. Welcome, Sean. Hi, good to be on. How are you? Well, it's great to have you on. I'm great. I'm great. Um, you know, um, first of all, before we go on, you know, talking about the, the, the details here, what is 40 Days for Life? What does it do specifically beyond being, you know, of course, pro-life? Well, it, it's the largest grassroots pro-life organization in the world. We are in a thousand cities in 65 different countries around the world, and we hold peaceful, law-abiding uh, prayer vigils outside of abortion facilities for 40 straight days. So we have one 40-day campaign in the fall. We have one 40-day campaign uh, in the spring. And uh, in about 70 of our locations, we actually have uh, a year-round presence outside of abortion facilities. So uh, we have a 1 million volunteers. It's peaceful. It's prayerful. And it's, it's helped save over 20,000 babies and, and helped close 116 abortion facilities, in, including our headquarters, where we're now based in Texas inside of a, a former Planned Parenthood, the one that Abby Johnson managed. Mm. And, uh, and we've helped 239 uh, abortion workers uh, have a conversion and leave their jobs. Wow, very interesting. And also, um, you know, I think it's really important to, to understand that, you know, there are many people, and this is a very, very contentious uh, subject, obviously, but one of the things that is very important to understand is that people are talking to each other because, you know, we're also entrenched in our in our separate camps and in our, in our silos of what we believe. So why is that? Why is it so hard to kind of talk across those political lines about abortion? Yeah, it bothers us like no other issue. I think that's why we had the leak. You know, I mean, the first leak was the Roe v. Wade decision, but the the first, you know, modern leak um, is in the digital age has been the the abortion decision. It, it impacts us like no other, and I think we haven't gotten over it. Thank God. You know, mm -hmm. we've had this fifty years. It's one of the most common surgeries in America, and it bothers us. It, it comes up at every judicial nomination. It comes up in every presidential debate. It comes up at your Thanksgiving dinner table with your with your uncle, and. We haven't gotten over it because we we've lived in this uh, sort of hypocrisy where we, we we won't let a pregnant woman get on a roller coaster. We won't serve her 10 whiskeys at a bar. 
Uh, we put Scott Peterson on death row for second degree murder of his pregnant wife with a court named Connor. Um, so we've we've defended and recognized the beautiful humanity of the baby, the scientific reality of the baby. And at the same time said that you can have an abortion at 40 weeks up until the day of birth and that you can deny health care to a, a baby girl who survives an abortion. So we just haven't gotten over it. And and we're as uncomfortable as ever talking about it. And that is one of the reasons why, you know, Ginsburg said that Roe was bad law. Sandra Day O'Connor said Roe v. Wade is on a collision course with itself because of science. And, and I think we see that in our daily lives and in the workplace. And, and we have to be able to discuss it and discuss it in truth and, and in love uh, because that's, that's what wins mm-hmm. hearts. You know, one of the things that's really you know, apparent, of course, you've got several generations. I don't know if a generation is, what, 20 years or 15 years or whatever it is. You've got two and a half generations now raised um, with Roe v. Wade being law of the land. And one of the things that is um, apparent when you've got young people growing up and fewer and fewer are going to church or understand, you know, the idea of the Ten Commandments and morality um, is that they equate more, um, what's legal is what's moral, right? They, they think those two are the same. But what yes. you've got an abortion, you've got a situation where you're really kind of legislating convenience. You're not really legislating morality. And until you kind of understand this sort of schizophrenia, about the the legality of abortion and then, of course, the non-legality of, you know, uh, you can be charged for a murder for an unborn baby. Um, you're just like, well, this is very confusing here, you know. You know, this idea it, it, that... Go ahead. It, it is. <laughs> it's, it's very confusing, and it, it's, it's how we got here. We do surgeries on unborn children. It is amazing what we can do for, for an unborn a baby. It's amazing what we can do for a mom who has complications during pregnancy. Um, and, and yet we've had this, this barbaric, violent surgery. Every surgery is violent, but abortion doesn't tear to, to heal. It, it tears to kill. You're not supposed to survive an abortion. And this has been the problem, it, it, is that we, we haven't gotten over it. Uh, it. It is the most controversial issue of our day. It impacts all of us. But it's also the second time around for America when our Supreme Court has dehumanized a segment of of our population. Mm -hmm. And this time it wasn't because of the color of their skin. It was because of their size and their location. And and, and in that, it becomes not just a moral issue, but a humanitarian issue, a scientific issue. We are are denying citizenship to, to some of our own people. And... Uh, that that is that is what the, the the Supreme Court is saying. They're getting out of the second time in our history uh, the dehumanization business, mm-hmm. uh, which they should have never gotten into in the first place. Uh, before we go into some other details about some of the arguments um, uh, for and against abortion, what do you think the Supreme Court will decide? Um, it's they're gonna they'll overturn it. You think so? You you they'll think overturn- you, you think that 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 um, sort of trial balloon of the you know the opinion was saying that's exactly what they're going to do and not yeah. that you know it's the you know the um not the not the it's the minority opinion not the majority so you think it's we and i know for 40 days for life we started preparing for the overturning of roe v wade with the confirmation of of brett kavanaugh mm-hmm. and and then we 
we implemented some of our new programs uh, with Amy Coney Barrett because we, we saw it as a guarantee um, based on the court and, and what they had done. We gave up on Roberts a long time ago, like many conservatives did, but he was no longer needed. And so they are going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Our, our general counsel predicted how the, the opinion would be would be written. And then when it was leaked, one thing, Lauren, is I think the leak guarantees that Roe will be overturned wow. because now they have to do it. Because otherwise, every single Supreme Court case in the future that some clerk doesn't agree with will get leaked and then you'll protest their house and you'll threaten their life and then they'll they'll reverse it like they did with Roe that one time. And Mm -hmm. and the Supreme Court's not going to allow that to happen. So I think they will double down. I think that's why they haven't released it yet. They always said they were going to release it the last week of June. That was expected by most people. They're sticking to that schedule. And they're saying we're not going to be intimidated. So I think the leak guarantees it and Roe will be overturned. What happens then? Because 40 Days for Life now um, has to have a new strategy. What is your strategy after the Supreme Court pack comes back with that ruling? Well, we're, we are built for a post-Roe world. There's no doubt because we're in the grassroots. And now that this issue is getting out of D.C., finally, it is going to where not just 40 Days for Life, but the pregnancy resources across the country that outnumber abortion providers five to one, it's where we're at our strongest. And it's where Planned Parenthood, frankly, is at their weakest. You know, there's a huge disconnect between the corporate side of Planned Parenthood and the the woman or gentleman who's running the abortion facility, you know, wherever you live. There's a huge disconnect. And we hear it from the former workers all the time. And so we're going to where we're, we're strongest in the grassroots to, to do what this issue really is about, which is uh, hearts and minds. And, you know, we've we've helped close 116 abortion facilities and almost half of those are in pro-abortion blue states that will continue to have abortion in a post-Roe world. Our most recent, recent abortion facilities that closed, they said they just couldn't remain open. Um, we're in San Francisco, Seattle, uh, Chicago, and London. You know, I mean, those are hardly pro-life areas. So you it will come down to the market, if you will. And there are so many other alternatives for women. And just on the flip side of what you said about we'll do it if it's legal, the stat mm-hmm. changes. But it's typically about 80 percent of women who had an abortion said they, they wouldn't have done it if it were illegal. And so, you know, when you flip that and 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 mentally you know that abortions, you know, it's no longer upheld by Roe. It goes back to your state. Are you going to travel to another state? Are you going to get an abortion in California after uh, the Supreme Court overturns Roe? It it does make you stop and think. But having those alternatives, which are available um, Mm -hmm. widespread, we have tons of them in Texas where we're based, uh, that that really comes into play and you'll start having not just abortion free states immediately, but abortion free regions throughout the country. What about, this is very interesting because you've got I, I would never have thought that all of those abortion clinics were were being closed in places like San Francisco. I mean, you know, California is the bastion of liberal um, mindset. But what is the makeup in these states of, you know, pro-life versus, you know, pro-abortion and Is it likely some of these blue states would actually put it on their ballot as a ballot initiative about abortion? And how many of those blue states would come back and actually outlaw abortion? 
I th yeah, I, I think that that's on the table. You're also going to see some weird stuff. <laughs> and, you know, when I was in, uh, I spoke at the San Diego March for Life last January and the week, the day that I arrived, their mayor had declared that if Roe was overturned, um, that San Diego would be an abortion safe haven, you know, and you see these governors and these mayors saying we will be an abortion safe haven. Other governors are running around trying to get you know, Tesla to move to their state and they're <laughs> running around trying to get abortion doctors. But nevertheless, um, so you're going to start to see that. And some of that will just be virtue signaling, because I think most pro-abortion Democrats don't really care that much about abortion. They have to be about they have to support abortion. And the Planned Parenthood lobby is very important, but it's not part of their core. Very few people try to run on being pro-abortion. It typically doesn't work. It's how we ended mm. up with Yunkin. And so I don't think that that's a big winner for them long term. I do think that they'll pass legislation to fund abortions and to build more abortion facilities and all of that. But as far as the people, which is what you asked, the people living in California, you know, as a Texan, we just think, well, they're all just a bunch of crazy, you know, <laughs> liberal. And that that's not the case. And 40 days, our largest state for 40 days for life is California. Wow. And then uh, New York, New Jersey, Illinois. Wow. The more pro-abortion the area, the bigger the grassroots pro-life movement. And certainly for 40 days for life, that's true. So when it goes back to the states, yes, there's more pro-choice people in California than pro-life people. But there's far more active pro-life people than active pro-choice people. And that's across the board. And when you look at all these movements, you know, I do think they'll overturn Roe and we'll see a spike in violence. And, and we're prepared for that um, and, and are taking precautions for that. But I, it will go away. Um, this is it's not going to be George Floyd. It's not going to be mm -hmm. uh, the transgender movement. It's not going to be the gay pride. They simply don't have the passion for abortion that measures up to the passion that the pro-life movement has, because for us, it's life and death. And for them, it's not. You know, it's very interesting. I mean, I was thinking about some the person who showed up at uh, Justice Kavanaugh's home, you know, planning to basically do him in. And I'm thinking, why? You know, and then Schumer's um, rhetoric about, you know, we're going to fight and fight and fight, and, you know, almost <laughs> raising the ante about those, you know, the, 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 the you know, the, um, the pro-abortion movement. And I'm thinking you were willing to kill somebody in order to retain the right to kill babies in the womb. Yeah. So, and yeah, that, what, that's and, that's the irony behind that. And the silence, yeah. the silence in the, the, the liberal media on the fact that, you know, there is a person who's showing up at the, the, the a justice's home is just it speaks volumes about what their attitude is about anybody who would prevent anybody from having an abortion. You know, Lauren, you know, we do peaceful vigils outside of abortion facilities, but the, the violence in the 90s on abortion doctors and the bombings, we had to overcome that as a new, you know, right. pro-life activist group. And it took us a long time. And even anytime there's been a, a, a random incident at an abortion facility, we, we've had media outlets, including The Guardian and The Washington Post, say, we know this is not 40 Days for Life because they're peaceful and they have a proven track record. And so we, we've worked very hard for that and we're, we're proud of it. But can you imagine if, if 
if I went and protested an abortion doctor's house because somebody was protesting Amy Coney Barrett's house and that I was threatening them and I was arrested with a gun and a death threat, I mean, it, it would be everywhere. And, and that's just the world that we live in now. But, you know, the guy could have killed Kavanaugh. I mean, he could have been successful. Yeah. And we're, we're having a totally different conversation. And, and I think this is the your point about, you know, you're, you're willing to kill so that we can keep killing. Um, that's very much in line with with human history. When we dehumanize a segment of our population in any part of the world, we usually do kill so that we can keep killing. Um, but it's part of the darkness of man. But also mm -hmm. it, it, it points out, um, I think, the desperation um, because the reality is, is that the pro-life movement has only gotten bigger and younger every single year. Yeah. And people are growing up with either their nephew or their brother or sister's ultrasound on their refrigerator. Um, you know, we, we you could take the most depraved, angry person in the world. And if they're, you know, on the ice cream aisle of the grocery store <laughs> and a, a six month old smiles at them, they're just going to light up. Oh, you know, absolutely. they're just going to light up. And, and, and I think natural law has, has, has caught up to us. You know, here in Texas, we had the heartbeat bill. And you, you had people, it was comical at times, you know, you had people advocating the goodness of stopping heartbeats. Wow. And, and I'm sure you're the same as me, Lauren. We want our hearts to keep beating. You know, I mean, we spend a lot of money in our country to keep our hearts beating. Heartbeats are good. <laughs> birthdays are good. There's no forced birth. A birth, a birth is what's supposed to happen. <laughs> it's, birthdays are good. You can tell the same angry person in the ice cream aisle, happy birthday, and they'll get all tingly inside because it's their birthday. And we've gotten so far away from this and, and, and we're getting back to it uh, of just basic human nature. That's why it's so easy to defend, uh, to defend life. And it, it's impossible because Life doesn't really need defending. Abortion requires constant justification and constant rationalization. Yeah. And that's how we got here. Well, let's take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of the arguments that are out there. And, uh, you know, you equip, equip people. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lighthouse today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lighthouse. BetterHelp.com slash Lighthouse.
Okay, we're back with Sean Carney, who is the CEO of 40 Days for Life. Um, you know, we are looking at the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. Sean believes that it is a foregone conclusion that they will overturn it, which is why we're seeing so much vitriol on the uh, the, the abortion supporters side. Um, you know, somebody said something to me, and it was like the simplest phrase, and it, it I was already in the pro-life camp, but I'll tell you, that one put me in like a trench. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It was so powerful. He goes, you know, have you noticed that the only people who are for abortion are people who've already been born? <laughs> it's Reagan. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Uh, yeah. Like nobody really bothers to ask the unborn if they would like to be aborted. Um, so that to me was like a real eye-opener, and it was just a simple phrase. But there are arguments out there that sound actually very good on their surface. Um, And I was like, what is the number one abortion rights argument you hear? It's always rape. Rape is is number one. Um, And typically, it's it's the most sensational because they'll throw out the 14-year-old girl who is raped and now you want to force her to have a baby and this is going to ruin her life. And there's a lot of assumptions there. Number one, Uh, number one, the rapist is always forgotten in these conversations. So we have to point that out Mm -hmm. um, that the rapist should go to prison. Uh, Sometimes the rapist gets forgotten and he he is, in fact, the problem. He's he's a criminal Mm -hmm. and should go to the penitentiary. Um, Number two. But but how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Because you listen. We have compassion because everybody who has a, a you know friend who has a 14-year-old daughter and you know if you had a 14-year-old daughter would you want her to go through a pregnancy if she'd been raped? I mean so what do you respond to that with? Well, I had a personal experience with that in that a good friend of mine in college his mom was raped at 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 14 mm. and she chose life for him. And he spoke out in front of our Planned Parenthood one time and he said something that was very profound. And the the Planned Parenthood workers were out there listening. He said, I I will always be a product of rape. You know, I can't get away from that. Mm -hmm. I was a product of rape when I was conceived and I was a product of rape, you know, now. And, you know, once once a baby is conceived, um, we we in America never make a child pay for the sins or the crimes uh, of their father. Um, rape is, is, is the worst case. I think too many pro-life people write it off because they say, well, it's less than 1%, Mm -hmm. you know, but Mm -hmm. it matters to that 14 year old. It doesn't matter if it's one case a year or 10,000 cases a year. Um, but once a child is, is brought into the world, uh, no matter the circumstances of, of their conception, uh, we don't get to to give them more dignity if their parents were were virgins when they were married and they had a honeymoon in Paris mm-hmm. or or less dignity because, you know, their dad is on crack or their dad is a rapist. And and so I think that that's part of it. The, the bigger part of it is the the horrible disservice it's done to women, assuming that somehow abortion is designed to heal you from a rape. And it's quite the opposite. We worked with a lot of rape victims over the years and the ones who were victims of rape and they chose life versus the ones who were victims of rape 
and they chose abortion. One thing I never would have thought of as a man is the ones who were raped and had an abortion said that they obviously did it to kind of take away the the rape and just mm-hmm. move mm-hmm. on with their life, which is understandable. Right. That, that's kind of what you would think. Right. Right. But that's not how abortions designed. So they they always mention how they had two anniversaries. They had the anniversary of their abortion and then they had the anniversary of the rape. And each one reminded them of the other. So they added, they tried to fix a horrific experience by adding a horrific experience. And I think that a lot of genuine, well-intentioned abortion supporters don't think about that. They just immediately jump on the, the bandwagon of, rape, you know, abortion makes sense and it's responsible even mm-hmm. uh, if you're raped. And and we go through this in in the book because this is this is the number one issue. And there's a lot of uh, different elements that we cover in the book and what to say when, because this is always brought up first. Right. This is always brought up right. first. And what's kind of the second big reason that you hear to support abortion? That goes from uh, my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's and that's on the sign. You know, mm-hmm. when the leak happened with the Supreme Court, I turned on uh, Fox and first sign my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. And and that it's just the washed up phrase that they're kind of uh, that they're kind of stuck with. So, yeah, uh, with my my body, my choice. Um, number one, th- somebody else is there, which is the problem. You know, you wouldn't want an abortion if there wasn't somebody else. So there is another body. It's not just your body. You don't have, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. 20 fingers. So uh, there's another human body that that is there, another mm-hmm, mm-hmm. human being that exists. The other thing with this phrase that we never stop and think about is that's just not true, Lauren. <laughs> we, right, right. We, we, we can do whatever we want with our body. You can't go streaking down the middle of, of you know, Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue. I can't go in as a Dallas Cowboy fan and walk into their workout facility and start working out when the cops come to arrest me say, my body, my choice. I mean, we got to wear seatbelts in our country. So, right. you know, this whole notion that you can just, it is your body, therefore you can do whatever you want. Uh, that's not true when you run a stop sign and you hit a five-year-old crossing the street. You know, you can't say my body, my choice. Um, you can't get a DWI and say it's my body, my choice. I can drink and drive if I want. Um, it's just not true. It's, it's it, Except with abortion, it, it's become this phrase. It's a very weak phrase, but it, it's, it's definitely the second most common. One of the things that um, I keep hearing from young women is like, I'm not going to change my whole life for just a clump of cells. OK, so the science has advanced since that phrase became a little bit more, you know, you know prominent. But what do you say? But that's still out there. It's just a clump of cells. Yeah, it's just not true. I mean, that's what medicine tells us. We can uh, we can deny that it's that it's a baby, but you know, denial would be required. We know, we don't believe that life begins at conception. We know that life begins at conception. Um, and, and that is a very, very powerful thing. Um, to, even the abortion industry has gotten away from the clump of cells because you, you just can't deny it. I mean, ultrasounds have ruined that. Documentaries on the unborn uh, have ruined that. We know that life begins at conception. That's what medical textbooks tell us. 
Um, and that's just the truth. And if it doesn't begin at conception, nobody else knows when it begins because that's the moment when life begins. Right. So, um, you know, it, it also ties in as far as like difficult arguments into uh, if a woman doesn't have an abortion, she's going to die. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness. Um, and even there was an argument in the Supreme Court during the partial birth abortion ban where I believe it was Chief Justice Roberts, but he's he's demanding from um, I think it was the NARAL attorney. Give me the example like this woman has this medical case and unless she has an abortion, she's going to die. And they couldn't give an example. But even Dr. Alan Guttmacher, who was not pro-life, said in the 60s that there is simply no scenario where an abortion would save the life of a mother. It's not um, designed to do that. That's not the point of it. Um, and the just no scenario. And that was in the 60s. And I think we can all agree that medicine has advanced a lot more since then. Um, so, you know, a lot of these arguments, they're, they're exciting. They have like catchphrases, but uh, they're not scientifically accurate. They're also dated. Yeah. And, and that that brings in a, another issue with what we're talking about, which is which is morale. You know, there's so much positive energy in the pro-life movement right now. Young people are pro-life. Yeah. Gen Generation Z overall is very liberal, but they're pro-life. The New York Times actually did a great article on that in 2020 about, um, you know, Trump drives Generation Z away from Republicans, but abortion brings them back. It was a great article <laughs> in 2020, you know, because because they all they have their ultrasound like as part right, of their right. you know, little photo album. I remember so, one of the, one of the uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, staff here showed the ultrasound of, of his son. And my goodness, the son in the womb looked just like him. <laughs> it was, and he was so yeah, proud. And Lauren, you didn't look at your friend who you work with and say, now, is your son viable? Because I really only recognize that this is a baby upon viability. So in six more weeks, bring me another ultrasound and then I'll get excited and I'll, I'll, I'll bake you a cake. You know, we, we don't act like this in, in day to day life. You know, one of the things that um, I can say to a Christian when they say, you know, I have the right to do with my body what, you, what I want, you know, and you made the argument, you know, against religion. But, you know, one of the things I said, it's like, you know, you really don't. You can't. I mean, if you're a Christian, your your body is not your own. You know, it has been bought with a price of Jesus shed blood. That is a fact. Now, if you don't if you're not a Christian, I can't say that to you. But so is there an argument against abortion that has no religious foundations at all? Yeah, I mean, I think I think most of them. Um, <laughs> you, God, God is not you know required um, because it's common sense. I mean, this is like a six year old can explain this um, because life begins at conception. And in order to take that life, we have to dehumanize that person or we have to remove that person's right to life. Mm -hmm. And this is just dehumanization 101. Uh, some of the most dangerous people in the world and civilizations in the world have done it uh, for centuries. And this is what we're doing since 1973. And it's based in 1973 science. And if you use 2022 science, it's very easy to um, to not just refute it, but to ask questions. You know, mm -hmm. I think an abortion argument overall can be very unproductive, but I I've talked to thousands of people, women going in for an abortion, abortion workers, people screaming at me on the street. And those conversations, when they're done 
with love or with um, an open mind, the people will respond and they'll rethink abortion. That's why the pro-life movement has grown. Okay, it's it's not just because we're having children. Uh, It's because those who genuinely supported abortion have come to our side. Those who have had an abortion, those who have worked in an abortion facility on our staff. We have a former Planned Parenthood manager. We have a former uh, abortion doctor, Dr. Haywood Robinson. And the conversion gate, Lauren, swings only in one direction. Okay, there there are there's not some wonderful lady who had kids and is running a pregnancy resource center right now in America who wakes up and all of a sudden says, I should have been running a Planned Parenthood abortion (laughs) facility my entire life. And I'm going to go give speeches and I'm, you know, I'm right, now, right. you know, it's, it, that doesn't happen because of natural law, you know, because of, because of, of, of our nature and the fact that we, we in fact love life and everybody goes to a, a, a baby shower, you know, every, and nobody's questioning whether the baby has a right to live, you know, and yet in some political debate, they'll say, oh, no, that mom should have access to an abortion and they'll be able to sleep at night. And so it's why um, uh, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor said abortion is is on a collision course with itself because of science. And, and the collision course is now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got some really interesting um, podcasts on the 40 Days for Life website. I would encourage people to kind of go. You've got a lot of stuff on there about abortion, but also this, you know, you know, relating it to the pagan sacrifices. Uh, you've got the transgender movement. There's a lot of stuff on there that's really quite interesting. You're not just it's 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 really a, the tentacles are out in every for everyday life. But one of the arguments that um, you get from a lot of very sane, very uh, smart people is this one. Um, and it says, I am personally against abortion, but I don't want to make it make that choice for another woman. Um, this is a huge argument from people who kind of are sense are fence sitters. You know, they don't want to ruffle, you know, the feathers of anybody. They want everybody to get along. And I understand, you know, it's your choice, whatever. But I'm personally against it. But I'm not going to make that choice for another woman. What do you say to that? Yeah, I think that was the problem um, with a lot of the pro-slavery Northerners. You know, uh, I, I I live in an apartment. If I had 300 acres and I needed to grow cotton, I would probably need slaves to do it. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm against it, but I don't really need it here in Boston and New York. And so if they need it in Alabama, whose business is it of mine? And, you know, we live like that for a while. And it, and it didn't work because of the moral outrage and the moral argument that eventually Lincoln started using. And so we can do that all day long with any issue. We can be personally opposed to something, but not force our beliefs on somebody else. And if that means that somebody else may be killed, so be it. And that's a recipe for disaster. And we've mm-hmm. done that once in our country and, and we're, we're doing it again and it's not working. And it's becoming a geographical problem. But this this was so this was what was so great about Maryland, um, because they drew the line in the sand and people said, our farmers are just going to go to Virginia where you can have slaves and we're going to lose our farmers and it's going to kill our agriculture. And they said, so be it. But it's got to start somewhere. And they drew the line in the sand. And eventually you had uh, free states and slave states and, you know, 
it has to start somewhere. And you're going to see that um, with Roe v. Wade. I don't think we're going to have a civil war or anything like that. But you're going to see these abortion free states influence each other. You see it with Texas and Oklahoma right now. But once Roe, which the abortion industry has been very dependent on, very dependent on Roe the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I think Planned Parenthood is largely unprepared uh, for this moment right now. Um, you're going to have these abortion-free regions and, and, and then you're going to have extremely pro-abortion regions. And that's going to be, the division will, will be more geographical because that's what, the, that's what the leaked opinion said. This isn't our business. It goes back to the states and that's how it's going to play out. Now, you're, you're expecting Roe to fall, but, you know, let's just say there is a slight chance that it, that, that it will be maintained. But there are other legal um, suits behind the one that's currently being decided. Are they going to just be washed aside or do they have some kind of force as well down, down the line? That's a great question, Lauren. And I think that's another reason. Of course, they could uphold it. And then all those cases would go forth to the Supreme Court. But that's the motivation that Alito cited of why they got to get out of this. Yeah. Because the Supreme Court is so tired of Texas and Louisiana and Florida and all the pro-life states trying to nitpick to protect their own unborn children. And it goes to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has to decide. And it just inundates them with all these cases that led to and Planned Parenthood does the same on the other side. So they're suing. We're suing. And the Supreme Court is saying, y'all work it out. And it goes back to the states. It should have never been decided. It is bad law. We invented this notion of privacy and it goes back to the states. So I think all those pending lawsuits, because somebody said, well, why are why did Oklahoma pass that ban if Roe's going to get overturned? Why is Florida doing all this if, if Roe's going to get overturned? And it's because of that. Mm. It's because it's just going to keep coming if, if you don't overturn it. And I think the Supreme Court, in a very practical way, is tired of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is really interesting. Well, we are, um, you know, the decision is expected quite soon. We're not quite sure when. Um, and maybe they'll do it when everybody's on vacation um, over Fourth of July. <laughs> That's right. like, that'll, be, that'll be that'll be that'll be my luck. I you know the, the week that we go on vacation the whole year with our eight kids, they're gonna overturn Roe, and that, that'll be the that'll oh be the end my of that. goodness! It's like why why? Well, um, Sean Carney, thank you so much again. Your website? How can people find your website? It's a forty daysforlife dot com, and you can find the podcast uh, wherever uh, you you can get a podcast, and then the book is uh, What to Say When: The Complete New Guide. Uh, to discussing abortion, and that that's on Amazon or that's on our website. Great. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. It's been a pleasure. And, of course, you know, I reserve the right to have you back on uh, when the decision, um, after the decision comes down. Absolutely. Thank you, and, and keep up your great work. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.